The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. So, uh, in remembrance of uh, the 15-year anniversary of 9-11, you can tell we're taking a break from going through the book of John to... um, to talk about what does it mean to be a patriot and a Christian in a world where, um, I guess in a country, I'll say, where there's a lot of, uh, especially during this uh, presidential election time when really the candidates are accusing each other of not being patriots. What does it really mean to be a patriot in a world where there's uh, coming out of 9-11 and and terrorism and and immigrants and and all the issues going flying around us. I think it can be really cute, confusing for us to say what does it mean to be a Christian and a patriot. So I'm going to uh, bring us into God's word and hopefully just give us some thoughts to think about regarding that. Um, if you want to turn to First Peter or follow along with me. Um, we're going to read 1 Peter 2, 9 to 11 as our, as our scripture to get us thinking. Verse 9 says, you are a chosen people. And I want, I want these words to sink in. These are words describing people of faith, people who have put their faith in Jesus. It says, do you realize who you are? You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Um, do you feel like that this morning? Those are, those are good, good describers. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the president or Congress. Maybe you can tell that I I, uh, gave my own translation there. It it actually says emperor, uh, but we don't have an emperor that I'm aware of. Um, So whether to the president or Congress as the supreme authority, I guess we could add the... uh, the uh, what is that other um, oh my goodness never, um, Supreme Court thank you <laughs> I, I went to school uh, whether, that was a long time whether to the president or congress or uh, we'll say Supreme Court as the supreme authority or to governors or we could say county commissioners or mayors uh, who are sent by God to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right For it is God's will that by doing good, 
you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's servants. And then it kind of summarizes in verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor your leaders. So let me pray again just before we look at God's word. Father, I pray that that you would help us to, to understand your truth this morning. And Father, I think we, we come in the midst of all kinds of opinions and all kinds of ideologies and uh, positions and uh, political preferences that can, can tear at us and try to influence, influence us one way or the other. And often it's not... Um, an idea or a position that's rooted in the truth of who we are in you. So, Father, I pray that you would just renew our thinking, our minds this morning, that we would really be in this amazing country that you've given us, um, just uh, patriots that glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is officially called Patriot Day uh, as a day of remembrance um, for 9-11, which happened um, 15 years ago today, in which 2,977 people were killed. Um, In reading, I also saw there were also 60 undocumented um, immigrants that were also killed, not included in that number. Um, of those 2,977 plus 60, there are still 1,113 whose remains haven't been identified, whose families are still kind of waiting for closure. Uh, it was definitely a day in our country's history that probably stands out as much as any day has ever stood out in terms of not only the impact it's had on our country, but the impact it's had on our world. But the, the question, when we come to something called Patriot Day, as I, as I mentioned earlier, is to really ask the question, what does it mean to be a patriot? What does it mean to be a patriot um, in a world where there's all kinds of accusations flying around accusing individuals of being or not being a patriot? Uh, it certainly is a brewing controversy in the NFL right now uh, with, uh, forgive me, Seahawks fans, but um, with uh, a San Francisco 49er, Colin Kaepernick, kind of uh, beginning the thing by refusing to stand for the national anthem um, two or three weeks ago. Uh, and as a result, being accused of being a traitor, uh, not a patriot, um, from his side of it, and then it's been followed up with at least three or four others, Brandon Marshall, Denver Broncos, probably one of the w- most well-known besides Colin Kaepernick, uh, actually saying that refusing to stand for the national anthem is an act of patriotism on his part by calling out 
injustices in this country that haven't been dealt with. I guess today the Seattle Seahawks, uh, if you're not familiar with them, they're a football team in Seattle, um, are going to arm-in-arm, lock arms, and stand for the national anthem together um, in unity uh, in support of our country. I mean, who... It's almost like the old uh, TV show. You could say, will the, will the real patriot, you know, please stand up? Um, what does it mean to be a patriot? It's interesting. I, I looked at some different definitions and just listen. One says a person who vigorously supports their country and is prepared to defend it against enemies or detractors. That's a patriot. Um, it's interesting, the, the root Greek, Greek and uh, Latin word for patriot is pater, the word father. Um, and thus a patriot is a person who loves his or her fatherland or country. Those are good definitions. Listen to this one, though. It says, a person who loves, supports, and defends his or her country and its interests with devotion a person who regards himself or herself as a defender, especially of individual rights against presumed interference by the federal government. That almost sounds like, from in some people's thinking, somebody who wouldn't be a patriot, but who is a patriot. And then the last one. A patriot was someone originally, this was the original definition, who loves their country and supports it, but won't blindly follow whatever their country's government does. It says these days that thinking is synonymous not with patriotism, and this is what I want you to think about, not with patriotism, but with nationalism. Um, Someone who blindly follows whatever his country government does and lacks the ability to think or reason themselves. Patriot, nationalist. Let me give you a little bit more history before we look into First Peter. In um, we're not we're not there. <laughs> um, probably one of the most graphic illustrations of nationalism versus patriotism is goes back to Nazi Germany. Um, Adolf Hitler rose to power January 30th, 1933, uh, along with the Nazis in Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an opponent of the Nazi regime. He ended up actually attempting to be a part of a, a, an assassination attempt on Hitler and was hung for it. He was a, a Protestant minister. Two days after Hitler was installed as chancellor, Bonhoeffer delivered a radio address in which he attacked Hitler and warned Germany against slipping into a nationalistic or idolatrous cult of the Fuhrer or the leader and in which, uh, which could very well turn out to be the Verfuhrer or the misleader. Uh, in the middle of his radio broadcast, he was cut off. In April 1933, he raised his voice against for the church to resist Hitler's persecution of the Jews and his 
exaltation of the Aryan nation. This continued in July 1933. Hitler imposed unconstitutionally new church elections, putting pro-Nazi officials into key church positions in Germany so that the church, the Protestant church in Germany, instead of being salt and light and a voice for God, became a puppet of Hitler. In August 1933, Bonhoeffer was deputized to draft a Bethel confession to affirm God's faithfulness to the Jewish people, but it was watered down because of the pro-Nazi um, um, church officials um, and Bonhoeffer refused to sign it. In 1933, finally, it kind of becomes the, the culmination of Hitler's attempt to take over the church and reduce its voice to a pro-Nazi nationalistic agenda instead of a speaking for the truth agenda. And overwhelmingly, 20,000 Nazi-supported pastors included... Uh, a, a passed a resolution to remove the Old Testament from the Bible um, because it included the Jewish people. Um, the Barman Declaration was drafted by the Confessing Church or the non-Nazi pro-pastors in May 1934 that declared that Christ, not the Hitler, was the leader of the church. And yet only 20% of the Protestant pastors in Germany supported that. I mean, the church was taken over because of this patriotism that had become nationalism. Who are the patriots? The 80% pastors that supported the Nazis? And, and the almost extermination of the Jews and throwing the world into a world war or the 20% who were uh, declared traitors and like Bonhoeffer, many of them went to their death. Um, question, what does it mean to be a patriot and a Christian? The big question, if you're looking at your notes, this is how do we live as a citizen of two countries? As we're going to look at some scripture later, I mean, we're, we're called a citizen of heaven if we're a follower of Jesus, and, and we're a citizen of the country that we live in. What does it mean to live as a citizen of two countries? And as we turn to First Peter now, the big idea that I really want us to get is that how we live and how our lives are lived out in, in many ways, but including as a citizen of the country that we live in, how we live is rooted in or based in who we are or who we see ourselves as or who we think we are. So we're going to come, um, starting at verse 9 here, and if you're looking at your notes, this is who are we? This is what I want us, I want us to start by thinking, who are we? Look at this. Number one, we're, we are special people. <laughs> if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, you are incredibly special. It says you are a chosen people. That means we're, we're adopted. We've been adopted by God as his kids. We who 
in, in Romans 5, it says, God, be, you know, God saved us. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, he didn't save us because we were special, but God loved us so much that he adopted us rebels, sinners, to be his own people. A royal priesthood. We're, we're kids of the kings. We're sons and daughters of the kings. And we're priests. We have direct access relationship with the God of the universe, the sovereign God of the universe. We're his, we're his kids with direct access to him. Uh, you know, when I, when I think about this, it's like when, when I think about myself, I'm not the king, okay? I'm not saying that. But I can be in an important meeting or at least I think it's important, the people that are with me, we think it's important. And and nobody would probably consider interrupting that important meeting except one of my kids. <laughs> I mean, they, they wouldn't have any problem just coming in because I'm their dad and, and they're my child. I mean, direct access, a holy nation set apart to be God's people his special possession. We're his. I mean, one of my favorite descriptions is when Jesus has been being baptized and, and, and God the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son whom I delight. I'm, I'm well pleased with him. And we're his brothers and sisters. <laughs> I mean, we've been adopted to be his brothers and sisters with absolutely equal access God's kids, those in whom he delights. That's who we are. Uh, we are incredibly special. Um, if you go ahead, Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Listen, this is a description of Israel by God. It says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's God's description of Israel. And that is God's description of us, people of faith, who have put our faith in Jesus. We are that same treasured possession, kingdom of priests, holy nation. Do you get that? That, that has got to be the starting point. And then it goes on and says in First Peter, uh, back to First Peter, I'm going to bounce you around here. <laughs> Notice it says, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in Hosea 1, 9 and 10, we see the same description of Israel as a people. When the Lord says, Call him Loami, which means not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. And this is God talking to disobedient Israel. Yet, the, excuse me, the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. They will be called children of the living God. That's, that's us people who didn't deserve mercy, people who weren't counted as people of God, rebels, sinners. God says, you are now the people of God. Not only are we incredibly special, that's what it says. And it's got to be the starting point because as I think back to Nazi Germany, what was it that lured 
80% of the Protestant pastors to, to follow a sick man leading the world into war. It's because somehow they thought being an Aryan <laughs> called, you know, the, the premier race was more special than being what it is described here. You know, we could say the same thing that maybe somehow in a, in a sick way we could think that being an American is more special than being this. And I'm not saying being an American isn't special, but it's not more special than this. <laughs> um, who are we? The question is, do you realize how special you are? That, that's the starting point. The second is, who are we? As we come back here... Uh, it's that we're different. Uh, that we're different. No, look at verse 11. It says, not only are we special, it says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Do you see yourself as a foreigner in the United States of America? Uh, look at Philippians. We got Philippians three eighteen to 21 here. This is incredible verses. This is, Paul says, in speaking to the church at Philippi, he says, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, that's certainly what happened to the 80% of the pastors in Nazi Germany. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is purely set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Do you realize that? As a child of the king, we aren't just special, but we're different. In fact, we walk in this country as dual citizens. Our citizenship is heaven. That's what we eagerly await for, a savior who's going to come from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our end isn't here, but our end is eternal where our citizenship is in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. Man, I, I love that song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That, that song that we sang, I, every once in a while, I'll, I'll listen to that and I'll just, on YouTube, I'll put it on repeat, and I'll just listen to that over and over. It is just, our, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It is way more incredible of a kingdom than this country that we live in, and as incredible as it is. We're special and we're different. Do you understand your dual citizenship? Do you? So if we understand who we are, how do we then live? How do we then live? Um, you know, as we go through these verses, uh, there's one thing that strikes us that's so clear is that we live for God's glory. Um, in verse 12, it says, Lift such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Verse 15, it's, it's God's will. Look at verse 16, live as God's servants. I mean, it's, it's all about if we understand who we are, then the driving thinking and living in our lives has got to be for the glory of God. But how does that break down? Just four things quickly. Number one, it means to live 
good lives. How then do we live? We live good. We live good. Matthew 5.17 says, Let your light shine before others in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Do, do you live just to do good? I think sometimes we get so defensive um, in the world that we live in, we feel like we have to be almost feisty and, 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 and critical and instead of just committed to just living good lives that would glorify God. Um, and you know, it's, it's everyone. <laughs> it's everyone. It's not picking and choosing like, uh, well, I'm going to do good to this person, but I'm not going to do good to that person. It's just living good lives in a way that in the eyes of everyone, they may see our good deeds and glorify God who's in heaven. Do, do you do good? I mean, that's pleasing to God that we would go through life just seeking to do good to other people. The second thing is, back to First Peter, Number one is just live good lives. Number two is verse 13. It says, submit, live submissive lives. I think sometimes we can be really feisty and rebellious. And, and, we, and we say it's righteous, but it's just honoring us, right? Uh, in Matthew twenty-two, fifteen to 21, this is a great verse or verses. The Pharisees, wanted to trap Jesus again. Verse 16, they sent their disciples. They said, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And they're just blowing smoke. They don't mean anything they're saying. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. They're just trying to trap him. So verse 17, they say, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should you pay taxes? That's the question, right? I've talked to some Christians who don't pay taxes, and I I bring them to this verse. (laughs) Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? And they said, Caesar's. And just in a profound statement, Jesus said to them, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. And and what's so profound about it is the image on the coin was Caesar's. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God and we are in his image, meaning give ourselves to God. Be be submissive. Um, You know, we have so many blessings and benefits from living in this country um, how can we be so honoring and, and rebellious instead of just submissive? Are you submissive or honoring? Uh, you know, the incredible thing is we, we think our leaders are bad. Well, it's nothing compared to Caesar. <laughs> I mean, he thought he was God and he was killing Christians. So if we think we got it bad, and reconsider and consider Jesus's exhortation to a submissive life. The third thing we see then is 
in verse 16, it says, live as free people, live good lives, submissive lives, and free lives. Galatians 5.1, we read, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And that's any kind of slavery. Slavery to your peers who would keep you from living for Jesus. Slavery uh, to your job that would keep you from being confident in who you are as a Christian. Slavery to a country, I mean, going back to Nazi Germany, that would end up leading you into a nationalistic fervor that would um, exalt a man over Christ as the head of the church. Um, Live free lives. Lives that are purely lived as an overflow of who we are in Christ and not any dictate that anybody else would put on us, but at the same time living submissive lives. Do you see how those work together? And then finally, just just to summarize all that, God-centered lives. We see this in Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for a human boss. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. You know, I'd much rather have employees that were number one serving Jesus than serving me because then they're going to be the best employees they could ever be if Jesus is their number one boss and not me. Um, It's the Lord Christ we serve. Who is your authority and who is your boss? Verse 17 just to kind of wrap it up simply, it gives us four statements that I think are just really powerful in summarizing what it means to be a Christian and a patriot. Number one, respect. Show proper respect to everyone. And that can be hard for us to do, right? So often we're, we're good at respecting those that we agree with and that are like us, but it says, show proper respect to everyone. This is a quote from a an ultra-conservative digest, and it says, tolerance is the highest virtue, or it's claimed to be the highest virtue in the United States, unless someone's a Republican, in which case they deserve to die. You see, that's liberal thinking. And and on the other hand, you could have conservative thinking and, and this inability to respect everyone because we become party people or sectarian Jesus, it just says, show proper respect to everyone. Do you do that? Do you do that? Number two, love the family of believers. In John 13, it's just such a, a simple verse. It says, Jesus, when he had just washed his disciples' feet, he says, love one another As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Are we known for our our love? Are respecting everyone? It doesn't matter if it says, it's not dependent on if they agree with you or you agree with them. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. (laughs) Fear God. And that is said, I love the word fear. 
In Deuteronomy 5.29, it says, God says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments always. I think that's what it means to fear God. It means to just want to please and, and obey God always. So what I do overflows out of what God wants. It's, it's this God-dominated thinking, this God-thinking, not, not political party thinking, not false American pride or anti-American thinking, but God thinking that dominates the way we think and the way we function as a citizen of the United States of America. And finally, it just says, honor your leaders. Uh, honor your leaders. You know, I... I grew up in, a, in, in an environment to where um, anybody that didn't agree with us, we didn't respect and we didn't honor. We, we criticized them. Uh, you know, this simple biblical truth, respecting everyone, loving the family of believers, God-dominated thinking, fearing God, and honoring my leaders has just been, for me, freeing. What it says in verse 16, freeing. To be a believer, a Christian in the thick of a, a country that is, is, I believe, the most incredible country you could live in. But a country with all of its faults that we can still love, but we can, but we can live in as a citizen of a higher country and we can be the patriots and the Christians that, that this country needs. Um, just an illustration as I close here. Eric Liddell in the in the movie Chariots of Fire, one of my favorite movies. Um, and if you haven't watched it, I'd encourage you to watch it. it. It hits exactly on this truth of what it means to be a patriot and a Christian. Eric Liddell was Scotland's finest athlete. He was famous in Scotland and throughout the whole United Kingdom as a rugby player, but also probably the fastest man in the whole United Kingdom. He had a conviction. He was a devout Christian. He was born in China to missionaries in China. Um, And he had a conviction that you don't run on Sunday, what he called the Sabbath, or it would dishonor God. As a result, in the 1924 Paris Olympics, Although he was scheduled to run the 100-yard dash, um, he refused because the, uh, it was going to be run on Sunday, on the Sabbath. As a result, it caused a huge national uproar. He was beat up. He was castigated. He was condemned for being unpatriotic uh, by not running for his country on, on a Sunday despite the fact that he was extremely patriotic and proud to be a Scotsman. His father told him before returning to China as a missionary, his dad told him this, he said, run in God's name and let the world stand back and wonder. And that's what he did. In in fact, he's quoted as saying, God made me for a purpose. He made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. But as a result of that, he also said to run on Sunday would be against God's law, and so he refused to do it. Um, In the movie, it resulted in him being brought before kind of like an inquisition, the British Olympic Committee. It's kind of a humorous setting. The future king of England is a part of the the Duke of Wales, is is a part of the, uh, the committee. 
And they're trying to convince him that he should run against his beliefs. One one of the guys, he's kind of a grouchy old guy, he says, there's only one way to resolve the situation, and that's for this young man to change his mind and run. And Eric Liddell responded by saying, I won't run on the Sabbath, and that's final. And this guy says, don't be impertinent. And Eric Liddell responds by saying, the impertinence lies with those who seek to influence a man to deny his beliefs. It's an incredible difference between the pastors in Nazi Germany and Eric Liddell. One of them responds by saying, on the contrary, we're appealing to your beliefs, your loyalty to your country and king. And one of the guys responds by saying, here, here, in my day, it was king first and then God after. Eric Riddell, Liddell responds by saying, God is the one who made countries and made kings. And the future king of England said to him, as fellow countrymen, we have a common bond, a common loyalty to which we are at times called to make a sacrifice. Is that not so? And asking him to make a sacrifice against his convictions that God has called him to follow. And his response was, God knows I love my country, but I can't make that sacrifice because his number one loyalty was to God. And you know the incredible result, um, just to give you a spoiler if you haven't watched the movie, was his refusal to run on a Sunday, he ended up being offered the chance to run the 440-yard dash. Uh, He ran it, a race he'd never run before, (coughs) and he won it in world record time. And as a result, brought incredible glory to God and became a national hero. (laughs) Um, You know... um, It's because Eric Liddell knew who he was. That he became the patriot that he was. I mean, despite the accusations of being a traitor, it's because he knew who he was. Do you know who you are? Unless we know who we are, we will not be the Christians and the patriots that this country needs. in the midst of tumultuous times. I mean, you know, everything about terrorism and and immigration and everything going on, how can we be the Christians and the patriots that this country needs unless we're the followers of Jesus, that we should be understanding the citizenship that is ours, the special people that we are, so that we can be for such a time as this the people that this country needs. Let's pray. Father, these things can be so hard because there can be so many accusations thrown around about what somebody is or what somebody isn't or uh, if they're a patriot or if they're a traitor. God, help us and our thinking to be rooted in you and your thinking that we might be in this amazing country you've placed us to be the citizens and patriots here that you want us to be. Father, just constantly remind us of who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.